This is the Memory Palace. I'm Nate DeMeo. Frank Hicks pinned the number 20 to his shirt. He had run far before. Not a marathon, but he had run far and fast. And when he found out that the 1904 Olympics were going to be held in the States for the first time, he started training, doing 10 and 15 mile days on the new paved roads in the outskirts of Boston. He knew he didn't have a shot at winning, but just to be there, running against the best in the world, would be great. The first two Olympics had been awesome, revived the spirits of the ancient Greeks in Athens in 1896, then Paris in 1900, and now, St. Louis, which admittedly wasn't Athens or Paris, but it had somehow managed to land the World's Fair, and then Teddy Roosevelt twisted arms and brought the games to the fair too. It was going to be awesome, Frank Hicks would think while ticking off miles in Massachusetts. He'd never win the thing, but still. As Hicks secured his number and lined up at the starting line at the third Olympic marathon, he realized he may have been wrong. Maybe he could win it. He'd never run this far before, but he'd been training hard. And it was hot, it was 90 in the shade, but he was tough. And looking around, the competition kind of wasn't. There was that Frenchman who lived in Chicago, he was good. And that guy Fred Lors from New York. That guy was the real deal. But that was kind of it. None of the big guns from Europe were there. Because who the hell wanted to go to St. Louis? You are Great Britain's greatest Greco-Roman wrestler. You throw the meanest shot put in all of Sweden. You'll go to Athens. You'll book a ticket to Paris. But cross an ocean to the United States and then hop a train to the middle of nowhere to some city that you probably never even heard of. You'll pass, thanks. So when the marathoners lined up and waited for the starter's pistol, Frank Hicks liked his odds. There were 30 other runners. It looked like there were going to be a lot fewer up until the day before, but then 10 Greeks showed up on the evening train but they were in terrible shape after their journey. And then there was this little Cuban postman in street shoes who cut his wool work pants off at the knees when he saw everyone else was wearing shorts. And then there were two Africans. The Olympic organizers were frustrated by the lack of international participation. So they wandered over to the World's Fair, which was going on right there at the same time. They walked over to this human zoo where native peoples from Borneo and Mexico, Central Asia, had been brought to live in reconstructed villages to pretend to go about their daily business for the amusement and supposed education of the ticket-holding Midwesterners. So the organizers walked around asking if anyone wanted to join the race, to give running more than 20 miles a go. Two Zulus did. They were there on display as savage warriors, though they were actually both college students. And they figured, why not? It beat sitting around whittling spears all day while tourists ate cotton candy and laughed at them. So against this competition, Frank Hicks liked his chances. And the gun went off, and the first few miles fell away. And the pack, such as it was, made its way up the first hill. And things went downhill from there. The conditions could not have been worse. All along the route, they shared the road with cars and horses, that kicked up dust that choked them and made it hard for them to see. But Hicks was managing to make good time. And one by one, his competition started dropping off. They were felled by cramps and just beaten down by dust and heat. Both of the Zulus were actually hanging right there with him up in the front. But they got chased off course by a pack of dogs. That Cuban postman was running well too. But he got hungry and he took off into an apple orchard for a snack and ended up falling asleep. 
and Fred Lors, Hicks's big competition. That guy had full-on collapsed at mile nine. So, slow and steady, Hicks could do this. After a few more miles, he knew that he couldn't. The dust was everywhere, and his nostrils caked on his tongue. Sweat dredged channels through it on his forehead, stinging his eyes. Halfway through the race, Hicks was done. He begged out. He begged his coaches, who were driving in a car in front of him kicking dust into his face, begged them for water, and they refused to give it to him. They had some theories they wanted to try out. Instead of giving him a glass of water, they cleaned his mouth out with a dry sponge, and they urged him on. He was in the lead, just 10 miles to go. Nine, eight now. With seven more, Hicks was staggering. His coaches decided that the dry sponge wasn't going to work anymore, and they brought out the big guns. They figured he needed a stimulant to keep him on his feet. They had some brandy, but they thought that might be too dangerous at this stage. They wanted to keep it in reserve in case they needed it at the end for a final kick. So instead of giving him the water that he'd been begging for for miles now, they gave him a glass filled with a raw egg and a little bit of rat poison. And Hicks kept racing, in that he kept moving forward, though his coaches had to walk next to him to keep him from tipping over. And he started hallucinating, from the dehydration and the heat and fatigue and rat poison. With four miles left, he tried to lie down in the middle of the road and fall asleep. But his coaches were undeterred. Their man was up in the pack by a mile and a quarter. Victory! If not a cup of water was in his grasp, they pulled out all the stops. They busted out the brandy. Frank Hicks would win this race if they had to carry him across the finish line. Which they did. Three men entered the Olympic Stadium. Hicks, gray and tripping on rat poison, raw eggs and French brandy, and his two coaches holding up either shoulder. One man keeping him going straight, the other working Hicks's legs like a puppet. And when they crossed the finish line, and Hicks was finally allowed to collapse, and the coaches slapped each other on the back for their man's victory and their own ingenious interventions, they looked up to realize that Fred Lors, the fast New Yorker who had dropped out nine miles into the race, had actually won the race. It wasn't until later that they found out that after collapsing, Lors had hopped into a car that dropped him off a block away from the stadium, and he waited till a believable amount of time had passed and jogged in and got a standing ovation. Hicks at least got a glass of water.